Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Time to ease off the accelerator, says British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, after setting out a four-week delay to the lifting of all restrictions in England. I think it is sensible to wait just a little longer. That's why we're so concerned by the Delta variant that is now spreading faster than the third wave that was predicted in the February roadmap. Sky News reporter Enda Brady joins us live from London to discuss the latest. The government here is considering tighter restrictions on people coming into Ireland from Britain to combat the spread of the Delta COVID variant. Fianna Fáil Senator Lisa Chambers and Sinn Féin TD Padraig McLaughlin will be here to discuss, as well as Chair of the GP Council with the Irish Medical Organisation, Dr Dennis McCauley. Virgin Media News reporter Paul Quinn brings us a special report from County Donegal where he has been meeting MICA homeowners who are set to protest in Dublin tomorrow as they seek clarity from the government on their futures. And later, as Stobart Air ceases trading, what does the future of Irish aviation hold? IALPA Vice President Alan Brearton will be here. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. First tonight, I'm joined by Sky News reporter Enda Brady, who's in London for us. And Enda, much had been made of this June 21st date, the date when the UK was set to fully exit lockdown. Um, The decision then made today to delay that for a month. What's the reaction been? Look, I think nobody was surprised, really, because this was trailed so extensively in the past few days in Conservative newspapers. So we all knew this was coming. I think there's disappointment, but the majority of the people are with the Prime Minister on this. The phrase coming out of Downing Street is one last heave, you know, that we can get over the COVID line in four weeks' time. And I think if he sticks to this new date we've been given of July the 19th, I think the British public will go along with him. But, you know, he's running out of time on this because, in all honesty, everyone was looking forward to next Monday. And I think the Prime Minister has just bought himself a little bit of time while they can ramp up the vaccination programme a bit more. Still plenty of unhappy people there, sectors in particular affected by this. Um, are there protests planned, a bit of reaction on the streets tonight to Adenda? No, there have been no protests whatsoever. I think people have been very good about this and they realised that, you know, the Prime Minister had said the whole way through he would be driven by data and not dates. And he had set it out very, very clearly, to be fair to Boris Johnson. But I think he has used the phrase tonight here, terminus date. So July the 19th, that is it. He, he really won't tolerate any more delays. I think the Prime Minister would rather be seen as Mr. Delay rather than Mr. Reverse. I think the public can tolerate a four-week delay here, 
while they ramp up the vaccinations, more people over 40 getting double jabbed and more people over the age of 18 getting their first vaccination. What the public here will not tolerate is any reversal. You know, if you were to start shutting pubs, shutting restaurants and taking away the freedoms that people have been very, very used to now since the middle of April, I think that would be intolerable from the public point of view. But on a political front, he's certainly got some issues in his party because a lot of Conservative backbench MPs are quite furious tonight. Of course, this is all against the backdrop of the Delta variant. Just how serious is the situation over there? It's not good, Claire. I mean, if I look at the numbers, so today we've had 7,742 new infections. The data from the Prime Minister suggests uh, the Delta variant 64% increase week on week. Hospital admissions are up 50% week on week. You know, we were at a stage a couple of weeks ago here where we were hitting maybe 1,750 infections to 2,000 a day. We're now pushing and nudging towards 8,000 a day. We did have around 900 people in hospital. It's now gone past 1,000 with COVID. So it's creeping up step by step. And the Delta variant has certainly got a hold here. The one fly in the ointment now, the Prime Minister has said that, you know, July 19th is terminus date. Everything reopens unless there is a game-changing new variant that emerges. So he's hinging all his hopes on the vaccination programme. And the extra four weeks, basically, will get millions more people double jabbed and a lot of the younger generation single jabbed. And hopefully by July the 19th, normal life will come back as we know and love it here. And we could, of course, see an impact on travel here. Speculation that the Irish government is considering extending the isolation period, the quarantine period for people travelling um, from Britain to Ireland. Yeah, so I think the big concern really from the Irish government's perspective is keeping this Delta variant first discovered in India out of Ireland because it has got in here, it has very quickly gained a foothold, it is far more transmissible and the numbers here are 90% of our COVID positive tests every single day now are the Delta variant. And all of this, Enda, as Boris Johnson aims to impress at the G7, uh, did much really come out of that gathering of world leaders, bar the beach photo call? Not really. I mean, he's doing his utmost to build a special relationship back with the United States. And it was extremely strained under Donald J. Trump because people here didn't know what to expect you know, quite frankly, nobody knew what he was going to say. Joe Biden, a very, very different man. And I think they're getting to know each other. So it was good to see Joe Biden here, you know, obviously a chance for Boris Johnson to spend some time with him. Mr. Biden and the First Lady then went to Windsor Castle to meet the Queen. You know, people want that relationship to thrive and prosper. It was never going to be possible with someone as irrational as Donald Trump. That's what the critics would say in the White House. That simply was not going to work. In terms of G7, you know, a lot of talk about trade, climate change and rebuilding relations. Some wonderful photographs. I think the, the big winner out of the whole thing was Cornwall because any visitors or any international guests looking in would think what a wonderful part of Europe to go visit sometime. And certainly it's going to be a very, very busy summer season down there. It was a great showcase for that county. OK, Ender Brady from Sky News joining us from London tonight. Thank you for that. Pleasure, Claire.
Now joining me here in studio is Fianna Fáil Senator Lisa Chambers, Sinn Féin TD Podrick McLaughlin and via Skype Chairman of the GP Committee of the Irish Medical Organisation, Dr Dennis McCauley. Lisa Chambers, I want to come to you first. What is the government now considering uh, in terms of restrictions to battle this COVID variant? Yes, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's been some conversation around at the potential that we may not be reopening in July 5th as planned, but that's not true. Uh, my information tonight is that we are still on track to the next stage of reopening on the 5th of July as planned, and that's going to go ahead. Um, they are looking at additional days of quarantine for passengers travelling from the UK that are not fully vaccinated. So if you are fully vaccinated, you can enter. Um, but if you are not fully vaccinated, they're looking at increasing it from five to 10 days. Now, the challenge with that will be ensuring that people actually comply. Um, and that's what we need to ensure does happen. But there is concern about the Delta variant. There's no, there's no point in saying otherwise. Um, and I think when you see Boris Johnson, who has really benefited from his handling of COVID in the last number of months, it's been referred to as the Boris bounce. For him to get up on a podium and actually delay the reopening, Freedom Day as he was calling it, it must be bad in, in England for that to happen in the UK. So I do think we have to take it seriously. And you mentioned there about the travel restrictions and increasing that quarantine, that period that people must isolate if they're travelling from Britain to here. But is that realistic that that's actually going to happen? So currently we have five days in place if someone's to come over here. It's hard to even police that because there's no mandatory quarantine in place. You go to someone's home or you go to a hotel and you're supposed to stay there for five days. And now the government is considering extending that to 10 days. Given our open borders on this island and the special relationship that we have with the UK, is it really realistic that this, these increased restrictions will actually work? I, I think they'll work to a certain extent. Um, you know, we know that the Delta variant is already in Northern Ireland. We have it here in the Republic as well. Small enough numbers, but it didn't take long for it to take hold in the UK. Um, perhaps they were opening up maybe a little bit too quickly. We are at a different stage of our vaccination pro programme. Um, you know, they were using predominantly AstraZeneca. They had quite a long gap between both doses. So I think we're in a different space. We are watching it. We are concerned about it. But um, I think that the measures that will be obviously on foot of public health advice, um, the measures that we put in place, we hope will be will be sufficient. And I think we've we've been very cautious to date. It's paid off. Okay. We're doing well and we just need to stay on track. And the teacher was very clear in, in terms of reopening that when we reopen, we want to stay open. And that's still the priority. Do you think those restrictions that are being discussed now that are likely arguably to come about that we'll see um, greater travel restrictions and people having to further isolate when they arrive in from Britain. Do you think they'll work? Do you think it's realistic? Well, there's certainly a space for the rapid antigen testing to be looked at again. Uh, and our chief scientific officer ha has made that case, for example, uh, in the state. And I would mm. argue that uh, in terms of the travel between Britain and Ireland, that's exactly the space that you should be in uh, utilising that. I do accept, however, that the Delta variant is a real threat um, and we need to protect jealously what we've achieved. I mean, the disease is stabilised uh, in the state. We do have, you know, reduced uh, hospital numbers, reduced ICU okay. numbers, and we need to make sure that people here continue to have restrictions easing. So the way to do that is to follow the public health advice in this okay, regard. So Sinn Féin's position is do it, increase the amount of time that some will have to spend in isolation in quarantine should they arrive here from Britain? Well, if that's the public health advice, uh, and obviously you're, you're seeing a situation where the British Prime Minister has very reluctantly uh, removed the easing of restrictions, extended it by four weeks, they obviously see this as a real threat uh, to what they've done over there. We have to be careful and protect the advances that we've made in this state. Right, I want to bring in Dr Dennis McCauley. Um, 
Dr. Dennis McCauley, when we've heard about the number of cases here, the decision, dramatic decision that's been made in the UK, um, are you worried about the COVID variant and the extent that it is present in this country? I'm worried. I think that uh, you have to be uh, aware that this is a much more virulent vaccine. Um, it, it with, in an average room, the, the previous uh, variant of this would infect four, four people very quickly. This, this will do eight. So therefore, you have to be worried about it. I think that the actions taken will only reduce the, the rate at which it, it does spread. I think it ultimately will spread and will become the dominant variant. But the issue is to try and reduce the spread and then in the medium term put it into the equation when it comes to the modelling as to what to do next. Mm. And we heard Lisa Chambers here in studio saying July 5th, that's still the date for reopening indoor dining and indoor um, hospitality. Would you agree that that's the right approach? I think it's a wee bit optimistic. I think that really we are, we are hamstrung a little bit in, at the present moment because of the uh, malware attack. Our actual numbers and our ability to do modelling has been reduced. I think that the positive issues we have to prevent the spread are the actions of the Irish people and the vaccination pro, um, um, process. Things that will enhance the spread will be opening up hospitality, particularly indoors. And now we have to take in the, the fact that we, we have a much more spreadable virus. And I think the modelling will tell us this. Perhaps we may get the drip feed as we got in the UK, that there will be a gradual build up to perhaps saying this perhaps isn't a good idea. But as I say, the, the numbers will tell everything. And I think the data and, and the date um, um, sentences will be used more and more, I think, as we come near July. Okay, Lisa Chambers, should we, be, would, should we be wiser to wait on the numbers to see, should we make that decision around July? Like you saying here tonight that, you know, the government is adamant it's all going to open on July 5th. Could this lead to disappointment should we see um, the spread of the variant as, as we're seeing in the UK? Well, my information tonight is that we are on track to, to reopen the next stage on July 5th. Um, as always, the public health advice will come into that, but that's based on public health advice. Um, and as Porek said, our, you know, our hospitalisation numbers are, are, are quite stable. We've got, I think, 23 in ICU. Our numbers are quite stable. So it will come down to the, the, the data and the numbers, but so far, so good. And we are ramping up the vaccination programme. It'll open this week for 30 to 39-year-olds. So we're in a slightly different space in the UK in terms of our vaccination programme and the gap between AstraZeneca well, and Storton. There's a huge number of people vaccinated, you know. With first that, doses. Yeah, well, 30 million people are fully yeah. vaccinated over there. They're still seeing this problem among the younger age groups, so there is that concern there. Um, I'm just wondering about the, the risk. Is, is the government making a decision that, look, possibly there will be a fourth wave? We will see a spike in cases. There is talk of that, but we have to weigh up the risk uh, associated with that, about, about numbers vaccinated and about uh, sectors reopening and the need to do that for the economy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the focus is not so much on the, the number of cases, but on the number of people requiring hospitalisation and those that are needing ICU beds. They're quite stable. I think that's where we have to focus now because, you know, we have the Delta variant now. There will be other variants. Uh, this isn't going away anytime soon, but we have to get back living. And hospitality, retail, aviation, they need to reopen um, or else we're looking at permanent job losses. So it's trying to strike that balance. It's very difficult, um, but that's what the government are trying to do. Uh, would Sinn Féin share that optimistic optimism, uh, Port McLaughlin, about the, the reopening of, of indoor dining and hospitality on July 5th? 
I, I think it's really important, particularly for those businesses that have been closed for so long and those workers have been out of work that, you know, that they need to see the reward for the huge sacrifice that they've made. And we can see, as I said, in terms of the hospitalisation numbers, the ICU numbers, uh, the, the, the case numbers that are out there, we have made huge advances, uh, you know, and of course, we made the mistake uh, last Christmas where the UK variant came in uh, and had disastrous uh, impacts across society. Uh, we've now made huge progress, but we need to learn the lessons from that time, and that is to protect uh, the space that we're in in this state uh, and to keep an eye on variants that might be able to get into the state. So I support support precautions that are uh, suggested. Okay. Um, Dennis McCauley, I, I wanted to ask you just on the issue because we're talking about the caution that you would would expect around the, the reopening of um, indoor socialising. Do you think that there's a case to be made for people, only people who are vaccinated to go and dine indoors, say, and that younger people who are not vaccinated, who are more at risk of this new variant, should uh, just stay at home or stay outdoors? I think that's very un unreasonable and very impractical to actually implement. I think that I think that there is no doubt that there will be, and when we have indoor dining, there will be an actual increase in the numbers. It's just the the amount of the numbers and the amount that is politically and sort of psychologically um, um, acceptable. I think that the good news is that the transference of the numbers into morbidity is down. But we, at the same time, if we had a fourth wave which was significant, it would have a psychological effect. It would have an actual political effect as well. But also it could affect your ability to travel if Ireland was deemed to have a higher, uh, high level of... of uh, the Delta variant, we wouldn't be that popular in sort of Europe. So, and as well as that, naturally, the more, if you have a rapidly expanding fourth wave, which I hope won't happen, and, and the modeling may actually do that, but you don't want an, an actual Irish variant. You know, that's the last thing we need. So, but I think from the practical application, there is no doubt that if you have no vaccination or if you want one vaccination, the morbidity is, is higher. But I think to try and have vaccine cards going into bars, that's just not going to work. As a GP who's working close to the border, what do you think of this idea about extending um, restrictions and making people who are arriving in from Britain um, stay that bit longer, twice the time in isolation than they currently are? I think there's two, there's two things when it comes to trying to reduce the spread that you have to take, take into account. If you have travel, if you have travel sort of restrictions at, at Dublin, it's a visual aid to try and make people think. I think along along the border that isn't going going to work. Having guards or uh, members of the actual PSNI on the on the bridge at Lippard will have no effect of the ability of the of the virus to spread. I think if there is an outbreak in Northern Ireland, it will spread here. If there's an outbreak in the Republic of Ireland, it will spread there. The the the, the actual the actual border has no effect. This is why the Irish Medical Organization and the British Medical um, Association have been calling for closer cooperation for out outbreak suppression, but also for variant suppression. So I think it is very important that there is a general messaging across the border about what to do and what, and what not to do. I think there is a bit of confusion with the messaging. I think the government said that Irish people are entitled to travel to all 32 counties. There was no caveat about going in and doing hospitality in Northern Ireland. So the messaging has to be tight and it has to be aligned. The messaging must be tight and aligned, Lisa Chambers. Uh, the government has things to learn on this front, doesn't it, about the all-island approach? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what we're learning all the time throughout this pandemic. But it's there been... has been 
15 um, months of this, 16 yeah, months of learning I, I here. I think the, the all-island approach, um, that, that's been a priority for the government and they've engaged consistently with the, the UK government uh, and the representatives in the north as well. But it is it is a different jurisdiction in terms of the public health approach and we don't make the decisions for Northern Ireland. Isn't that problematic? Well, it, it is challenging. Yeah, it makes it difficult. But at the same time, we're not we're not worlds apart. And I, I think, you know, as, as was just mentioned there, if, it, if, it, if there is an outbreak north or south, it will make its way across this, that we don't really have a border. We're an island nation and it's just not practical or reasonable. All we can do is slow it down um, so we can get our vaccines out. But more than that is not really achievable. Uh, Porter, I want to ask you just about the AstraZeneca doses. And there's a lot of people who are concerned out there tonight, specifically in the 60 uh, to 70 year old age group who've received one shot of AstraZeneca. And many people younger than them have actually got two doses of another vaccine. And they're still waiting on their second dose, which would protect them against this uh, Delta variant. But they haven't received it yet. Yeah, it's a real problem. And my colleague, uh, Sinn Féin health spokesperson, David Cullinan, has, has said that we really need to look at, uh, you know, a mix of vaccinations at this stage. I mean, you have a situation where people who are over 60 or people with underlying conditions uh, received AstraZeneca vaccine. And now family and neighbours who don't have underlying conditions are fully vaccinated in some instances. So, you know, there is an issue here and a challenge. Is the government going to speed this up? Yeah, they are. And they have done already a little bit and that it's gone from 12 week gap to eight. So very aware and of this. many people still waiting. Yeah, I mean, the good news is when you are fully vaccinated with AstraZeneca or Pfizer, reports from the UK are saying that it present, prevents against 90% of people having to go to hospitals. That's really good news in terms of the efficacy of that vaccine. But yes, that's an issue that has to be addressed because that cohort mm. definitely feel vulnerable and I can understand that and that needs to happen. Okay, my thanks to Dr. Dennis McCauley. Lisa and Podrick will be staying with us. And after the break, a special report from County Donegal as MICA homeowners are set to protest in Dublin tomorrow. Well, I can tell you any OAP in Donegal with Mike in their home do not feel valued. Would Hall Martin or Leah Vrad could do this to their mothers? You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Now, as Taoiseach Micheál Martin is to meet the Attorney General to discuss how the government can deal with the ongoing issue of mica homes crumbling in County Donegal and hundreds of supporters set to protest in Dublin tomorrow, Virgin Media News reporter Paul Quinn brings us a special report from County Donegal. This is the view that the Henry family fell in love with when they bought their house back in 2007. 
The dream for Phelim and Jacintha was to raise their children in the family home in Burnfush. However, the Micah controversy has turned that dream into a nightmare for the parents of five young children. Phelim says they constantly live in fear that the walls of the house are going to collapse. At times, um, you know, you just can't hold it back. It's uh, when we had to move to the left-hand side of the house because the engineer had told us that this wall was at risk of catastrophic collapse. He said it's not something that's going to crack and crack and crack another wee bit and a wee bit fall out. He says it's possible that one day this whole wall will just fall down and we moved to the left-hand side of the house. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we went on through, there was another day when uh, he told us, I think you need to look for somewhere else to live. That was a hard day. We, we took the children over to another house and it's only over the road. Mm -hmm. And there was tears uh, from think, everybody. Yeah, I think that would have been the day where you would have felt this is really having an impact on the children when our eldest girl was just distraught at the thought of having to leave her home. Some people will say, why should the state have to step in here? What would you say to people like that? I know a lot of people are, are only coming to this maybe now. Mm -hmm. But the government does know about it for years. Like, you know, the technical report was done four years ago. You know, the scheme was set up in a couple of years after it, but they did know about it well before that. Like, we've, it's been going on for us for 10 years. And the government at the time said they wouldn't be stepping in unless every other avenue had been explored. Uh, so, like, home bond, home insurance, you know, the block suppliers. Um, but none of them things have worked, so like, they are the last resort. Well, this is the reality for thousands of homeowners right across Donegal and other parts of the country, with parts of their houses literally crumbling before their eyes. Further north in Carandona, Joanne McLaughlin's house was built in 2004. She started to first notice the cracks in the walls in 2011. The situation deteriorating dramatically in the last few years. It's a constant worry all the time, especially when the kids are younger. Um, do you know, when the kids are running around with their friends, they couldn't bring their friends here because not only was it embarrassing to bring kids here because you were embarrassed because you thought it was your fault, um, they, um, you couldn't let the kids outside to play. You were always afraid in case something would fall. The kids were never allowed to play football or anything like that there, they had to go away down the field or whatever. Um, so it, yeah, it's stressful and then when you lie uh, in the quiet of the night then you hear all the banging and the popping and you hear the, the debris falling off the, the especially the gable wall because that's got the, the full element of the weather like. The Taoiseach visited Donegal last week saying he was angry and shocked at the scale of the problem, describing it as scandalous. Last year, a redress scheme for those impacted was put in place to cover 90% of the costs. However, it's estimated that homeowners could still have to fork out up to €100,000 to demolish and rebuild their homes. It's been going on now up until I suppose to Christmas time when we realised that the scheme wasn't working for a lot of people. The vast majority of people uh, were going to be out substantial amount of money. Um, there was a submission sent to the Minister back in April time and I know he's working on that. But we do need to see this moving on pretty quickly because as you see yourself here at this house, how, how hard, how detrimental it is to people's mental health to be living in this type of situation and I think that you know time is of an essence here. For Mary O'Regan moving to Donegal 13 years ago was to be a fresh start to be near her family and to see her grandchildren grow up. 
Five years ago, the 70-year-old was diagnosed with cancer. I got the cancer. I did not say why me. It was something that had to be dealt with, and I dealt with nearly like a business arrangement. Uh, but I have said why me about the house. Uh, this whole thing now, it has affected me mentally and physically. Uh, my sleep. Um, it just it makes life so difficult. To apply for the scheme, Mary says she spent all her savings, money she'd set aside for her own funeral costs. Again, getting at the OEPs. I mean, Leo Varadkar, in his, in his address to the nation when he was discussing um, COVID, he referred to the older generation as the valued members of society. Well, I can tell you, any OEP in Donegal with Mike in their home do not feel valued. Would Hall Martin or Leo Varadkar do this to their mothers? Tomorrow, thousands of people from Donegal, Mayo and other parts of the country are expected to protest in Dublin, calling for 100% redress. People we spoke to say they feel abandoned and forgotten about. They're hoping that their voices will finally be heard on the streets of the capital tomorrow. That report from Paul Quinn. Podrick, it's a story you're very familiar with. It's a desperate situation for many families and homeowners up there. What does the government need to do now? The government need to support the motion in the Dáil tomorrow, which is calling for 100% uh, redress. That's what was made available to the families in Dublin and North Leinster, and rightly so. Uh, over 2,000 families in Dublin and North Leinster have availed of the Pyrite Remediation Scheme. It's fully funded. Their rent is paid when they're out of the property. That was not made available to the families in Donegal and Mayo. Uh, we have MICA in the blocks in Donegal, Pyrite in the blocks in Mayo, uh, and basically it's second-class citizenship. What we need tomorrow is the government to say that all citizens who are affected in this way through no fault of their own due to light-touch regulation, self-regulation, no regulation during the Celtic Tiger years, that those families will all be treated the same. That's what we need to hear tomorrow. OK, 100% redress. Why can't it happen, Lisa Chambers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that needs to be explored. Part of the problem is that when it says 90%, it isn't really 90% because if you look at the way the scheme was designed originally, it's based on a particular square footage, I think just, just shy of 2,000. But the average house is much larger than that. So that's where the excess cost comes in. On top of that, you have to pay rent when you're out of the home, maybe store your, your belongings. So actually, it's you're not even getting 90% because of the way that the scheme is set up and that needs to be looked at. Um, and, and, you know, people can't access, I mean, it was there in the report, I know Councillor Martin McDermott has been working on night and day on this issue. I know he's been working with you, Porrick, as well. Um, it's not, people can't access that access that level of finance and we can't, we can't leave people like that. I, but you know? people have been left like that for, for, for years. years. It's completely unacceptable. Well, it should have been dealt with years ago. And why hasn't it been? I don't know. I mean, I think there's been a, there's definitely been a dragging of feet the last number of years. It hasn't wasn't properly dealt with. The scheme was announced shortly before the last election, for being honest about it. It should have been announced before that. Um, you know, people have been left. I, I remember standing into a house in, in North Mayo um, and I could put my hand through the crack. That's oh. how, and it wasn't. And I'm, you were a TD then. No, that was actually before I was even a TD. That's okay. how long this has been going on Exa for. Exactly. You know? And since then, you were a TD and you were in a position that you could bring this, well, th that's this not issue. An, and it wasn't even that, but there was 5,000 homeowners who were bringing this issue well, to the fore and yet nothing to, was done. To, to be fair, when I was elected, I was in opposition and I did make representations, as did many people. And the decision just wasn't done quickly enough. 
there is a scheme in place now, but there are issues with it. I know the minister is engaging with the groups. I know that he shook went down to Donegal I think, last week and he met with the groups as well. So there is, you know, an urgency to, to, to listen to the problems and to address that. And I think it's about acknowledging people are very annoyed at this 90 percent because they're saying yeah. it's not actually 90 percent. Yeah, and we can, we can and, hear and that from the, what the, the, the differentiation between the schemes in the east of the country that were 100 percent funded versus the scheme in the west of the country that, that isn't. And I understand what the government is saying, that the, the cost is, you know, astronomical, really, for, for Donegal and Mayo. Okay. And that's one aspect of it. Right. But when you look at a report like that and you see people's homes crumbling, we just can't leave people like yes. that. And we have you 45 know? busloads of people who are coming down tomorrow to protest at the Convention Centre, to Leinster House, calling on your colleagues to do something about it. Will something be done? I sincerely hope so. I'll be at the protest myself tomorrow. There's buses coming from Donegal, from Mayo, maybe from Clare as well. So there's a lot of people travelling to Dublin tomorrow to make their voices heard. And that's really important, actually. And that message will be delivered loud and clear. All I can say is on behalf of my colleagues and I, I've been working with Councillor Martin McDermott, with, with Charlie McConlogue, with Dara O'Brien on this, uh, and, I, and, and Niall Blaney as well. There's been a lot of work done in the background over the last number of months, and I do think something will happen, and it needs to happen very quickly. Do you believe something will happen on this, Podrick McLaughlin? Well, it's very straightforward. There's a motion being put to the doll tomorrow, uh, and it's calling for 100% uh, redress for the MICA uh, and pyrite uh, in the blocks uh, scheme, uh, and the governments can, can vote really that. Think the government are going to vote with well, that? Well, well it's, it's very straightforward. It's a bit like a situation where somebody's drowning and you say that, listen, see the person who's close to shore. We're going we're gonna to save you because the helicopter doesn't have to have so much fuel. But see you that's further out, we're going to let you drown. But it'd be unheard of. It's not going to happen. So what we have a situation here is that there are families who are literally drowning uh, in Donegal and Mayo and they've been treated as second-class citizens. They've been asked to find uh, over €100,000 to make their homes yeah. safe. It's absolutely outrageous. That, I mean, should, well, like, just to say, I mean, should, but Porrick, shouldn't, decision, shouldn't, shouldn't it be supported? That well, like, look, at Porrick's very passionate about this issue. He's living in that community. So I don't doubt his bona fides in the issue whatsoever. But I mean, let's be honest, emotion isn't going to actually fix anything. That's the motion is a political move to try and get credit for any 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 changes that do happen. That's my view on it, but I, I don't I just want to be clear. I just want to be clear. But the I, motion, the issue... I need to be clear on that. Mary Lou MacDonald uh, came up to Donegal and met the families uh, just as over a week ago. They, they, as uh, and, and she was asked. She was asked that when we come down and protest in Dublin, can you put a motion? So that's where the motion comes from. It comes from the campaigners in Donegal asking Mary Lou MacDonald to do But I think that. we have to acknowledge you know, what a motion actually is. It is a debate on the issue, but it doesn't actually deliver anything. So that, that's, my, that's the point I'm trying to okay. make. I don't so doubt you want to feed Something will be delivered on for I don't people. know that. We heard, um, we heard the voices in the report, you, you, so you don't know that. I don't know that because I'm not making the decisions. Uh, all I can say is that I, I do know there's a lot of engagement happening. The minister is meeting with the groups. He has met with them. The Taoiseach has yeah. met with them. He travelled to Donegal as well. Meetings have been going on the last number of weeks. I feel there's a lot of pressure there. It's coming from within the government parties as well, by the way. I and well, my colleagues heard, have been really we, pushing this. We heard this. From, from that report one woman spending her funeral costs and trying to repair her home. But I, I think all of us tonight are in agreement. That's horrific. That poor woman. And I was floored to see the scenes at those homes. I've never seen anything like that. Mm. I really haven't. And that's the point I'm making. We can't leave people like that. But it is working its way through. I'm fully in agreement that the delay is unacceptable. It's been going on for years. It should have been done sooner. But I think we have to allow the minister now the space to deal with this. And I know that he cares. I know that he wants to deal with this. And the fact that the Taoiseach travelled to meet the groups in Donegal last week shows you this is a government priority to fix this issue. The scheme is in place that's positive, but we fully acknowledge there are issues there that need to be addressed and we have to listen to the people on the ground in Mayo and in Donegal and Clare and anywhere else that's affected. Uh, does the grant scheme as it stands, does it, does it hold any water? Is it any benefit to homeowners there? 
It's actually the more you look at the scheme, the more cruel it is. I mean, it, for example, uh, your windows and doors, you have to replace them yourself. Can you imagine? A 20-year-old house. We talk about retrofitting and climate change and all of this, but you're expected to keep the windows and doors. Uh, that's how penny-pinching it was. No rents covered uh, when you're out of your home for the year. Uh, you know, the increase of building costs, you're paying VAT, you're paying planning charges, legal charges. Uh, so when you add the whole thing up, this is where people are realising they're actually getting uh, a set 70% contribution from the state. They're contributing 30% themselves, over 100,000 euro. Like it's it's a mean-spirited scheme, uh, and it should be changed to the same as the pirate remediation scheme, 100% funded, and it's managed uh, centrally by, in this case, Donegal County Council, Mayo County Council, and hopefully Clare County Council. And, um, uh Homeowners are finding it really difficult to understand why the issue of pyrite was dealt with. It was dealt with fully. It was fully costed and people were fully given the money they needed and the supports they needed to fix their homes. But people in Donegal, Mayo, Sligo, they were ignored on that front. I don't think it's that they were ignored. Again, I didn't make the decisions to set up the but, scheme. But we know and, that these but, houses were built in the 90s, right up to 2010. And the, the problems were, were uncovered 10 years ago. And yet the Taoiseach went up to Donegal and said he was shocked by what he saw. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the problem started to emerge around 10 years ago. We, th we think, I certainly don't remember going further back than that, but it has really come to the fore in the last number of years where I think people have realised what the, you mightn't have realised what the crack was in your home until you realised your neighbour had it. So it's really become a big issue in the last number of years. Um, and look, I, I'm fully in agreement that something has to, has to happen here. And I think the difference between the East and the West, the information that I have is that we're looking at probably in the region of a billion euros to fix the cost of the homes in Donegal, Mayo and Clare. The, the scheme in the East was minuscule in comparison. Like that, the, the, in terms of cost, they're not really comparable. But at but the same time, really the principle for a homeowner whose house is falling apart. No, I mean the principle of it is if you have a scheme that's 100% in the east. My own belief and my own view is that the, the scheme should be 100% in the west. There shouldn't be a differentiation. I'm just offering an explanation as to why I think there is they're, they're, they're treating them differently. It's because the scale of the cost for the west and the northwest is just colossal in comparison to the one in the east. Isn't there a worry too, Padraig, um, that we're not just talking about individual homes, but we're talking about buildings, schools? Um, health units that could all be affected by this MICA issue? The comparison I would give is the United States. Uh, when the floods happened in New Orleans or the wildfires in California, the whole country says we have to step up here. You know, people uh, have had a disaster. So what's happened in Donegal and Mayo, through no fault of their own, we have a situation where thousands of families, and yes, there are public buildings also affected, uh, you know, and there's council houses, potentially a thousand council houses in Donegal alone, uh, through no fault of their own, uh, you know, due to light touch regulation, self-regulation, you know, the cowboy operations during the Celtic Tiger. People have been left in this desperate situation. And I'll say this with 100% honesty. If this were families in Cork, or Wexford, or anywhere in Ireland, I would insist that they get 100% redress mm. because we belong to this nation. We're all equal citizens and we're asking for the same treatment in Donegal and Mayo. Just briefly, final word. The protesters coming down tomorrow, are they wasting their time or will they get answers on this? Will they get what they need? No, absolutely not. I think it's, I think it's fantastic to see that many people travelling. I think it's really important to have their voices heard. Um, we're led to believe that there'll be, I don't know, maybe 10 buses or more coming but from... But will it be any use? I think it will be of use. All the help that we can, you have to keep the pressure on with these things. And it is important for, it is important that the message is delivered by the people affected, that this is important to us and we want to, we want okay. to address. So okay. protest and, and public demonstration and democracy in action is always important. Okay, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Sinn Féin TD, Patrick McLaughlin. Lisa Chambers will be staying with us. And after the break, IALPA Vice President Alan Britton will be here to discuss the future of the Irish aviation sector.
Welcome back. Now, the government has been urged to wake up to the Irish aviation crisis here as Stobart Air ceased trading last week. Joining me to discuss now is IALPA Vice President Alan Brearton and Senator Lisa Chambers is still with us. Alan, I want to come to you first. Um, in terms of what's happening with those important regional routes, do we know our other companies coming in? Is there, is there hope there that we could see these routes restored? Well, yes, in the short term, but I want to start off by saying, obviously, the news about Stobart is devastating for all the staff. I had a call with a number of the staff today, and there's so much anger amongst, like so many calls I've had with pilots in the last year, there's an awful lot of anger towards this government and frustration. But what we understand to happen now is there was 12 routes that Stobart operated on behalf of Aer Lingus, and then a number of public service obligation routes, namely Donegal and Kerry. And we understand now that Nordica, an airline from Estonia, has actually been in discussions with the Kerry airport about taking up these routes. And the irony of that is that Nordica are, a are an airline from Estonia that have been funded by the government. And it just brings to the fore the point that not only do we have the most repressive travel regime in Ireland, but we have done have had the least support from the Irish government. And it, it, I think it's a, it's a real sting in the craw for all of the Stobart staff today to see that an airline that has effectively been bailed out by its government is coming in to take their jobs. That's really difficult, isn't it, Lisa Chambers? Yeah, well, just, just I suppose to, to join with Alan and um, it's been a really difficult time for the staff at those airports um, with that airline, but also for the connectivity to Kerry and Donegal. I mean, that means a lot to people in those regions um, who will feel more isolated without that connectivity. I know that Minister Ryan is working uh, to try and get a new operator for both of those PSO routes. They're, they're subvented by the government. It's really important to get that connectivity back up and running. But, you know, I, I've been an advocate, um, you know, for, for getting the aviation sector back up and running. And I think we've been too cautious. Um, and we're, we're, I'm, I'm actually surprised we haven't seen more of this already because it's been well, we, well, one of the most have, impacted well, sectors. Well, we have seen the is, issue at, uh, at Shannon with the, the base there yeah. and what's happened there. And we, we're going to have more problems down the line when we get into the winter months. This idea that the industry will bounce back isn't something that's very realistic, is it? Well, I, I hope that it does bounce back. Um, Do you think you know, it will? And I, I, would have, I would have concerns. I mean, I've got my own... Do you think um, it will when we got this well, news this week about Stobart Air and, and I, now we have... We have companies that are helped by the government in their country coming in to help us because the supports aren't there for the airlines here. Yeah, I, mean, I think that sent shockwaves throughout um, throughout the Oireachtas and, and throughout the aviation sector that that that, that, that happened. And I don't th I don't think it was expected. You know, I look at my own local airport of Ireland, West Airport Knock, it celebrated 35 years there just two weeks ago. Um, don't underestimate the importance of a regional airport to the community in that area as well. So I, I really do feel for, for Donegal and Kerry and we need to get those routes back expected. up. How is there shock at this that it wasn't expected when we see what's been happening over the past 15 months and the warnings that the likes of IALPA have given to the government saying, if there isn't the support there, this is going to happen, and now it's happened. I suppose I should clarify that I'm not, in some ways, I'm not surprised that, that it has happened, but I think we were shocked because there was no kind of warning as such. It just kind of happened quite quickly. So that's what I meant when I said people were shocked at the announcement. But, you know, I mean, I think the aviation sector has been probably the hardest hit in all of this. It's still not back up and running. Even now, it's at a very slow pace and and you will have a little bit of reluctance and people wanting to travel um, as well at, at this point in time. So it we do need to support the aviation sector and I take on board that they feel that the support today had not been enough. Okay, and people will say, look, there was there's a pandemic and we have to go with public health advice and we're trying to protect people and protect lives in this. So while it is very, very difficult for an industry, Alan Burton, they also have to look at the bigger picture that we are in a global pandemic. 
Yeah, I understand that point. Like aviation is ultimately about safety and risk management. So we're very familiar with in talking these terms. But I will say that the damage being done to Irish aviation today is not as a result of COVID. It's as a result of go uh, government policy. Ireland is an aviation outlier. You know, your viewers tonight who have their flight radar app on their phone can look at it right now and they'll see no aircraft in the sky over Ireland, yet they'll see dozens in the sky over Europe. Look at it tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow morning, you'll see hundreds. We are an outlier in our policy. And what we do in aviation when we identify a threat is we put a plan into a place to mitigate that risk. And what we need this government to do is do that exact thing, put in scientific-based plans like rapid antigen testing, which we've been calling for, to mitigate the risk that COVID presents. Because, you know, I don't want somebody on board my aircraft. I'm a captain with an Irish airline. I don't want somebody on my aircraft transmitting this virus. But I want to see a risk-based approach to this virus. And unfortunately, I don't think we've seen that in some sectors with do, regard to do this. Do you hold out hope with this EU digital cert for travel? Well, you know, it's, I think it's interesting that the digital COVID cert was in, brought into law today. And unfortunately, one of the issues that the airlines have had is they can't get clarity from government as to what does the future hold. So I, you know, unfortunately what's been said to me is that had Stobart Air Management known that the Irish government would bring that COVID cert in today, maybe they would have been able to hold on a bit longer and this could have been preventable. But unfortunately, we have repeatedly asked the, this government for clarity. And more importantly, we have repeatedly told this government, our members have sent thousands and thousands of letters, and not just pilots, cabin crew, engineers, ground staff. We have all sent thousands of letters to every member of this government cabinet saying, this is going to happen. Unfortunately, we are now being found to be right. And the next message is, what is this winter going to bring? Because airlines make their money in the, in the summer. Okay. And we are going to suffer this summer or this winter if, if this government does not act. Alan mentioned it there about antigen testing. It has been brought up time and time again. Why are we not using this for travel? Honestly, I don't know. I think we should be using it. Um, lots like, of is members... that the feeling in government? Does everyone feel it should be used, but it's not? And why is it not? A lot of people feel it should be used. I mean, I'm not um, an expert in, in that technology, but I've read as much as anybody else. And I can't under... It's not that it's... Um, it's not a replacement for other public health measures. But, but it's, it's part of the... But it's, it's, it's an additional tool. That, that, and that's the point that's been made time and time Absolutely. again by, by industries, especially by the aviation sector. What, I, what, what I'm hearing back is that there is a fear that if you take an antigen test and you get a false negative that you think you're bulletproof and you're actually contagious and infecting other people. However, I think that somebody is that's... That, is that the, the thought at senior government level? Is that Neffet's idea? I can't it? tell you what's, this, this, what's happening at government level and that I'm not, I'm not a member of the government, but that's what seems to be the feedback and that they don't want people to get a false negative and think that they don't have it and maybe relax too much. However, I think it's an additional tool that should be used. It's being used elsewhere. It doesn't replace the other measures, but I don't see why we wouldn't be using it. And I know there are variations in terms of the... How, how good some of the test, tests are, but we need to weed those out, find the good ones, use those and use it Is as it a tool. Is it going to happen? You're saying we need to do this and we've heard other people and, and your colleagues um, in government and TD saying we need to do this, we need to roll it out and we had that group and um, the report that came back from that group of scientists saying yes, this needs to happen and yet it hasn't. Is there an idea that it will happen in the coming weeks and that it, 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 it will help bring clarity and bring people back to flying? Perhaps. I, I do think the pressure to use antigen testing is increasing from members right across all the parties and none. The people making the decisions on this ultimately are NEFIT and the government. I'm not in any of those groups, but I, I can tell you that the pressure to use antigen testing is increasing. And just on the, on the digital COVID search from the EU travel search, um, at a very early stage, the government commission is signing up to that. They negotiated to sign up to that whole uh, agreement. And also we've committed to implementing it next month. So we, we do want to see EU-wide travel and we are committed to implementing that. Uh, bottom 
bottom line here, Alan, if we don't get back to fully operating flights by August, what's the outlook? Well, just before I answer that question, I'd just like to address one point. This government have failed to fully adopt the digital COVID certificate. The one, the key tenet is rapid antigen testing, which they failed to do. 17 European countries have done this, we haven't. But the reality is, if the airlines do not make revenue this summer, there will be thousands of job losses this okay. in the winter. Okay, right. we're out of time. That's it from us. My thanks to Alan and Lisa for joining me tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. I'll be back tomorrow night at 10 from all the late team here. Good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.